Psalm 116, verses 1 through 19. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid, laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. The Bible says that all men are like grass and that all of our glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and flowers fade away. But God's word stands forever. Let me pray for us and we'll talk about it some more. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would, that you would be here and that you would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts. That you would cause our ears to hear. That you would cause our minds to understand and our hearts to believe. Would you work in spite of our sin? Would you work in spite of my failings as a speaker? In spite of our distractions, Father, we need you to work so that we might hear you and and be changed. And so we pray that you would do that even even right now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as a parent, one of the things that you you learn that you've got to you got to teach your kids is uh, you've got to teach your kids how to say thank you for things. Um, we used to live across the street from these folks that uh, they had a big train set in their front yard, which is like a kid magnet, of course. And so when our kids would go over and they would come out, and they were you know uh, our kids' grandparents' age. And would always have candy or something for them. And, you know, so they would take the candy and we would have to, right? Sometimes our kids would have to be um, uh, stirred to thankfulness, right? We would have to say, like, you know, she gave you a piece of candy, right? She didn't have to do that. What, what do you need to do, right? What do you say? Um, sometimes they would need to be, uh, you'd have to teach them what it looks like to be thankful, Right? Uh, you know, even if it's obvious that the kids are excited about candy or whatever it is that they've given, right? You got to teach them how to do it. And you say, wait, wait, come back. You, know, you, you need to look them in the eye and, and you need to tell them thank you. Um, it's, it's not something that we're naturally good at. We're not naturally good at being thankful, knowing how to express that. Um, and I think 
fairly obviously, that that's what this psalm is about. This psalm is about feeling and being thankful. Uh, This semester, you know, if you've been with us, that we're studying through the psalms. And our theme is dealing with feeling. Uh, Because the psalms are songs. And just like any song, it... Songs deal with traffic in emotion, right? They help us to understand our emotions. They can help us express what we feel, and they can even help shape how we feel. And so the Psalms do exactly that for us. Uh, They help us to, to understand and express our feelings. And this Psalm, again, I think helps us with feeling thankful. And so I want to see, uh, we're going to look at three things from this passage. Uh, The first two... I think the psalm sort of divides in half, uh, half-ish. Uh, the first uh, 12 verses, I think it's 12. Um, from there, we're going to look at our first two points, which are really about what the psalmist is thankful for. So we're going to see that he's thankful for the fact that God hears and for the fact that God uh, humbles, or God hears the humble. Uh, and thirdly, the second half of the psalm, our third point, uh, we're going to see We're going to look at how the psalmist expresses his thankfulness. So essentially what he's thankful for and how he expresses it. All right, so first, uh, what we see is that he's thankful for the fact that God hears. Uh, It's obvious from reading the psalm that he's he's been through some sort of tough situation. Uh, It might very possibly might have been that he was facing physical death, that he was about to die. But it's not, you know, not necessarily so. There's some other indications that it could be something very different. And it's probably intentionally vague so that we can apply it to, to any sort of difficulty that we might encounter. Um, but he cries out to God in his, in his suffering and in his pain. And God hears him and he delivers him. And so the psalmist is just absolutely taken up with the fact that God listened to him. That he heard him. And so we know, you know, if you've been around RUF especially, one of the things that we talk about a fair amount is that we have a God that speaks. Right? And that he speaks uh, through his word. Right? The Bible. That's God speaking to us. And we dwell on that a lot, and and rightly so. But what what we see here in this passage, and, and certainly plenty of others, is that not only do we have a God that speaks, but we actually have a God that also listens. A God that hears us. And it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's no wonder that he's in love with the Lord, which is how he starts this thing out. Because he feels like God really does care about him. Because he cares so much that he would stop and he would listen. Right? You know what it's like to sit with somebody and to feel like you're being heard. Uh, versus, uh, you know what it's like certainly to sit with somebody and they, you're telling them whatever, and they keep looking at their phone or even keep using their phone, or they just keep looking off, and they kind of give you the like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right? You know, like, that just does not feel good when you don't feel heard. Uh, it's sort of offensive, right? And on the other hand, you know what it's like when somebody really sits down and locks in on you and listens to what you have to say, when you, when you actually feel heard, you can tell that this person, at least to some degree, really does care about you. And of course, if you think about it, the, the greater or more important that person is that stops and listens and hears you, 
the more, the more powerful it is, right? Uh, it's one thing if your friend sits and listens to you and hears about what you think about your experience at Baylor. Maybe what, how Baylor should change and, or what things should stay the same. But it would be a totally different experience, right? A much more powerful experience if uh, President Livingstone sat down, called you specifically, and said, I want to sit down with you, not a panel of students, but just you, and sat down and listened to what you had to say and really did engage with you and ask questions and maybe took notes and really thought about it and responded with, you know, follow-up questions, right? That would, you, you, you get the sense of how, of how that would feel, right? Well, here we have not just the, you know, president of, of a university, as, as great as that would be, but this says that the God of creation listens to mankind, that he, that he hears his pleas, his cries of distress. And you, you have to understand that it's not just, it's not just this sense of hearing that, um, that the audio reaches God's ears. That's not what the psalmist is saying. Right? I mean, it's at least that. But you get the idea that God, God very much cares about what's being said, about what he's hearing. Look at verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's what that's getting at, right? Um, he's saying that as he was maybe facing death or whatever death-like situation, he says God considers those situations as precious. And look, that's not precious like how my grandmother, probably your grandmother would say it, right? Like, you know, when my grandmother says precious, she means like super syrupy sweet. Like, oh, it's just precious, Right? What the psalmist means is that the death of his saints, right? The fact that one of his saints, one of his people is going through something tragic is valuable. It's, it's something to pay very close attention to. It matters a lot. Uh, it's not something that he would take lightly. All right, so what kind of applications can we make? We could go a lot of different directions, but... Uh, one thing I think it means, I think that this is a great encouragement for us to pray. Right? If you're a believer, I think that this reminds us that God wants us to pray. That he wants to hear from us. That prayer is not just this, gosh, what we probably all, certainly I tend to think of it as, but wrongly, probably all do. It's not just this, or it's not this thing that's, just sort of a measure of how committed you are, right? Like how much are you willing to talk to God, right? And that God, you know, um, you need to check in with me every so often. That that's not the picture. Uh, That's what we tend to think of it as. But what if we had the picture that God really wants to hear what you have to say? What's on your heart? What the way you feel about things? And the fact that he listens, right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us. How does he teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven. Right? Certainly understanding that would transform our prayer lives from this thing that we, if we're honest, we feel like we have to do it to something that we want to do. Because God really does value what we're going through and he wants to hear about it. Um. And look, if you're here and you're not a believer, 
one, I'm glad you're here. And, and you know, I never want to presume that everyone is a believer. We always want to, uh, in fact, I, I want to assume that there are people here that, that don't believe. Um, we, we, we feel like RUF is a place for you. Um, and if, if that is you, I just want you to think about this. Does, does your life matter that, like that to anybody else? Would you be willing to consider a worldview where your, where your life matters that much? That the God of creation wants to hear you. I think that's an amazing thing. It gives our lives incredible meaning. The Bible says that God is one who hears and he listens to his children. All right, so maybe you're thinking, though, all right, well, that, that sounds good, and I would like for that to be true. I would like to think that God would hear me. Um, but who, So who does he hear? Um, and the answer to that, I think, uh, leads us right into our next point. Um, so the second thing I want us to see, I want you to see from this psalm, is that God humbles. The second thing that the psalmist is thankful for, he's thankful. For, and look, I've sort of struggled all week with thinking, so what exactly is this point about? Which makes me nervous, right? Even he doesn't know where he's going with this. I think I do. But is it about the fact, is the psalmist thankful for the fact that God humbled him? Or is he thankful for the fact that God hears the humbled? And I think the answer is yes. Okay? That they're, it's both and they're tied together. Um, I think it, it, it's certainly more implicit here than explicit. But I think it's definitely here that the psalmist is actually thankful for the fact that he's been brought to this position or to the, uh, to the point of being laid low, like we're going to talk about in a minute. But you see it in verse 6 and then again verses 10 through 11. Um, you really do get a glimpse into the, into the sort of mind and heart of this psalmist um, who has gone through something really difficult. It seems like he's somebody that's actually gone through some sort of tragedy, suffering, and really experience what we've talked about the last couple weeks or so of someone that's actually seen that God really does work all things together for the good of those that love him. Um, And the psalmist is actually thankful for being in that situation. Um, And and even if he's not sort of thankful per se for, for being humbled, he at least realizes that it was those humbling circumstances that, that caused him to cry out to God. And it caused him to see himself for who he really is and to see God for who he really is. Whatever the circumstances were that he faced, they seemed to have caused him to see himself in the right light. Um, let's see, where are we? Look at verse, uh, look at verse 6. He seems to have learned that the Lord preserves the simple. And the simple in the Bible is not, it's actually not a good thing to be called. If you remember from our study in Proverbs, the simple uh, is paralleled with the fool. Um, the word, the root word, or the root of the word, uh, is something like spacious or, or wide open. And the idea is that it's the, uh, it's the person's mind is sort of wide open and sort of vacuous, right? That they're. Um, sort of airheaded and open to sort of going in any different direction. Um, it's not a good thing. Uh, look at, uh, down further, he says that he was brought low. 
He described himself as brought low. As, as far as I can tell, that word's only used two times outside of the Psalms. Once in Judges, Judges 6, uh, and then once uh, again in Isaiah 17. And both of them, uh, the one in Judges is when God used uh, Midian to come in and attack and oppress his people um, because of their idolatry. And it says that because of that, they were brought low. They, they, they were forced to recognize their sin and who they really were. Um, the Isaiah passage talks about uh, the, the exile, right? When they were toted off in, uh, to Babylon. The same thing, that they were brought low. They were forced to see themselves in their, for who they really were. And so look, this, whatever this affliction was, it caused the psalmist to go to rock bottom. To where he looked around his life and he had no other resource or recourse but to cry out to God. He, it put him in the position of recognizing this is no good and I don't like this and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't fix this. I can't help myself. There is nothing I can do. All I can do is cry out to God and hope that he can do something. Hope that he will hear me. He's forced to see his inability. And he's actually thankful for it. Um, I think the, probably the biggest example of this from... Uh, give you, I want to give you an example from my life. Um, as, as many of you know, uh, our middle child, Davis, was born deaf. Um, Davis is what? Eight years old. So eight, eight, eight and a half years ago. Uh, when he was born, uh, even in the hospital, right? They do a hearing screening and... He doesn't pass. Uh, and so especially those first, gosh, weeks and first months of his life, uh, I mean, just to be quite frank, it was, it was fairly devastating for us. And look, plenty of parents have gone through far worse, and I, I get that. But for us, right, this was, it was a really difficult time because it was this unique Oh, goodness, it was this unique time of, of very vividly, in a way in which it's almost hard to describe, realizing, right, you have all these dreams and hopes for your children, right? I mean, you can imagine. Um, and then to be facing that, and there's this unique sense of, I can't do anything about this. I don't know what's going to happen, and there is, there is nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Except pray and just ask God to help. And our prayer over and over, because there was nothing else we could do, was just our prayer over and over was that God would let Davis be able to hear. Because that was all we could do. And if you, uh, you know, if you don't know, um, God answered our prayers. And through, and I actually mean this consciously through the, the miracle of the cochlear implant Davis hears just as good as you and I do but in a very unique and real way uh, it, it was made clearer to me and to us right it happened because God was at work because there was nothing we could do about it and as strange as it may sound, right, the psalmist, he sees that this affliction, this difficulty, 
It was actually a good thing because it points him to God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. Because it, he was in a situation where he knows the only way this, this is going to resolve is if God hears me and is good. Um, I'm going to spare you the details, but the New Testament helps us to see, the, see that that really is the case. Because Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, he quotes, um, he quotes Psalm 116. Um, and he does so, it's basically in the section, 2 Corinthians 4 uh, is the whole, um, we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? And so Paul's talking about all the afflictions that he faces. And he quotes this uh, little part of the psalm, part where he says, I believed, therefore I spoke. You know, I am afflicted. Um, and right, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, which is not where he quotes it, but it's just a few verses before. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he goes on to talk about how basically the afflictions point us to Jesus' afflictions. Look, all that goes to say, in other words, what Paul is latching hold of and what he's seeing in this psalm and identifying with the psalmist is that as, as no fun, as awful as these afflictions and bad circumstances are, they at least, they at least point me away from myself into the goodness of God. Um, and Paul specifically is saying that they, they point us to the gospel. My afflictions remind me just a little of Jesus' afflictions. And that Jesus was afflicted for me. So that my affliction, I know, is not ultimate. Alright, so just a quick application or, or two. Or just to wind this up. So who are the kind of people that God hears? And right, the, what the psalmist is so excited about is that the kind of... The kind of people that God hears are the ones that, that cry out to Him. He hears the ones, and who are the ones that cry out to Him? The ones that are laid low. The ones that, the ones that are, are broken. That don't have anything, can't do anything but cry out to God. Those are the people that God hears. The ones that have been, in a sense, humbled. The ones that have come face to face with the fact that they are the simple that they're sinners. The ones that have realized, that have looked in their heart and seen, my heart is, my heart's not as good as I thought it was. In fact, it's, it's dark. It doesn't love God, if I'm honest. It's prone to all sorts of evil. I'm prone to hate people. I'm prone to lust. I'm prone to be greedy. It's for people that realize they can't earn anything before God. Um, a, a friend of mine in high school, a long time ago, it used to say that he would lay in bed uh, on some Friday and Saturday nights, and he would, he would pray, God, do you hear the prayers of a drunk man? Because he was so ashamed of what he, you know, what, who he was and what he was doing in his life. And look, the answer is yes. Because he was in a situation where I don't know what else to do. I can't fix this. Do you hear, do you hear people like that? And this psalm says, absolutely. And in fact, only. 
Those are the kinds of people that God hears. The kinds of people that need Him and cry out to Him. Look, it's all through the New Testament, right? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, Jesus says He didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. Um, He says, all that are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. One of my favorite stories, um, you know, what we call blind Bartimaeus, right? There's a blind, poor guy sitting on the road and there's whatever, hundreds, thousands of people that have lined up to see Jesus. And he hears that Jesus is coming and he starts screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the text of everybody else around him tells him to shut up. Just be quiet. You know, essentially, like, Jesus, I care about you. Hush. He was the one person that Jesus sought out. And he says, bring, bring that guy. Bring him over here. The one that just called out to him. Because Jesus hears the, the have-nots. All right, we need to, need to wind up. So we've seen uh, sort of what the psalmist is thankful for. Now let's take a minute and look at uh, how the psalmist expresses his thanks, our third point. So what does he do uh, to express his thankfulness? All right, first look at uh, verses 12 and 13. This is where he asks himself, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And he says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Look, I think this is fascinating. The first thing that he says that he will do is lift up the cup of salvation. And now look, just to be clear, uh, he, he doesn't mean, it's not in the sense of lift it up, like uh, make a toast to God or just pick it up. Right? It's um, the picture of, it's actually taking the cup from God. When the cup is pictured in the Psalms, it's, it's, God is always offering it or people are taking it from God. It's something that he gives. So the first thing that he says my thankfulness is going to look like, right? And remember, God has ordained these and authored these psalms ultimately, right? Inspired these. The psalmist says, my thankfulness looks like receiving your salvation. Receiving the cup. And look, here's something else you need to know that, that makes this even more fascinating. This psalm is part of what we call the Egyptian Hallel, Hallels. The Egyptian Hallelujah Psalms. 113 to 118. And the Jewish tradition was that at the celebration of the Passover, right, celebrating the Exodus, that they would sing the first two before the Passover, and then they would sing the, uh, what, the next four after the Passover. So what that means, almost without question, it means that Jesus sang this psalm with his disciples at what we call the Last Supper. Think about that. And what did he do at the Last Supper? Do you remember what he said about the Passover feast? He essentially said, this whole thing is actually about me. And you remember he took bread and he said, now this bread is going to represent my body. It's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. And then what did he do? He took the cup, right, the cup of salvation, And he said, now this cup, this wine, is going to be the cup of the new covenant in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So do you see see the point, right? We get to understand this in, in, in so much more vivid way than the psalmist because it's all ultimately about Jesus's life and death for his people. 
It's what we celebrate when we take communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist, whatever you call it. Right? In other words, the psalmist's response of thankfulness is to continue to wallow in God's love. He says, you have loved me, and now my response of thankfulness is just to dive deeper into that. To, to lay hold of the cup of salvation. So for us, what does that mean? It means that is why we should, that's why we should read our Bibles. That's why we should pray. That's why we should be a part of a church. That's why we should be a part of corporate worship. That's why we should take communion. Because they are, they're means of grace. They're things that connect us to Jesus. They're things that remind us of his love. I've told you this story before. Uh, I told you of my friend in college, who was, as she was growing up, she realized that her dad told her that he loved her all the time. Like way more than like a normal good dad. And so one day she asked him, Daddy, why do you tell me that all the time? And he said, I tell you that because when I was growing up, I only heard my daddy tell me that he loved me one time. And he said, that's something that if you only hear one time, it's really, it's really easy to forget. And he said, I don't want you to ever forget that I love you. And that's why I tell you all the time. And I use that illustration all the time for communion. Because that's what it is, right? God does not want us to forget. And what, like what we're seeing here, right? What, what would make her dad happy? What does her dad want? What's the thanks that he wants? He wants her to know that he loves her more and more. That's her response of thankfulness. And that's what we see here in the song. And it fits with what he says next, uh, in that verse, um, that he's going to take hold of the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Now think about it. It's pretty interesting, right? That's where we started. Especially, you know, you see it in verse 4, right? He talks about, I was in this terrible situation and I called on the name of the Lord. And you answered me and now you know what I'm going to do? How can I repay God? I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. It's beautiful. Right? This is, right? Keep in mind, this is, this is what God wants from us. This is the response he's looking for. So that if you, it's like if you experience being in that situation and needing God and calling out to him and he answers, it's like he's saying, that's great. Now you know what I want from you? Now that I've saved you? Keep doing that. Don't ever stop doing exactly that. You know how you can pay me back? You can't. But, but you know what you can do? Just keep doing that. Just keep needing me. Keep crying out to me. That's what makes me happy. Uh, it's sort of the opposite of what we do with our kids, right? We're trying to grow up our kids so that they become independent of us, at least in most every way. right? We teach our kids how to tie their shoes. And early on, when they, they give it a shot and they cry out to us, and, you know, we go over there and we help them. We tie their shoes. But now, right, all our kids are the age, and they say, like, 
you know, our youngest will say like, when you come tie my shoes, I can't do it. And what do we say? No, you know how to tie your shoes. You tie your shoes, right? There's a real sense in which God wants exactly the opposite. That what he's saying here is the opposite. Don't ever get away from the, the, the place, being in the place where you need me. Stay right there. I think it's what Jesus talks about when he says, abide in me. Right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Stay connected, abide, live with me. What does it mean? Or, or what is that? For us, what it means is that we continually repent. That's what repentance is. Continually going towards God with our sin. So that we, look, when you find yourself and you, you did it again, the thing that you swore, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. And you did. What do you do in that moment? You go to him. Right? Um, we don't grow up to the point where we're spiritually independent. Our, our thankfulness to God looks like constantly needing him. Because that, when we constantly need him, we're constantly connected to his love. And the last thing that we see in just in maybe one minute, I wish we could spend a lot more time on it. What we see is that it's out of that, and really because of that, that the psalmist expresses his thanks by, uh, you see what he says, paying my vows to the Lord. And then it talks about, uh, verse 16, talks about serving him, right? Doing good works for God. And the last thing I want you to see is that, that the only way that works is it has to be born out of all of what we just said. It has to be born out of experiencing God's grace. Then in other words, we don't do good works to get God to love us. The only way it makes any sense, the only way we're actually motivated to actually love and serve God is if we know that he's loved us. And then out of that, because of that, right, we're called to serve him. But the order is everything. And, and, and that order is really the heart of the good news. The good news of Jesus. And that's what's offered to you tonight. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for good news. Forgive us for the fact that we are, we don't even know how to be thankful. But you are so kind that you not only save us, but then you teach us and you grow us and show us what being thankful looks like. Our Father, thank you for loving us. Grow us, change us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.